Hi, this is Michael Paul Gonzalez, editor at Thunderdome.com and also editor of the collection In Search of a City, Los Angeles in a Thousand Words, available at Amazon.com and Thunderdome.com, monkey aficionado, writer, lover of all things cool, and you are listening to Booked. Where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. <laughs> a little setup for this week's book. Um, we mentioned this on our uh, two episodes ago, right? The interlude episode? Yes. And uh, I kind of mistakenly, I guess, worded my suggestion wrong for read this, not that, uh, for a book called Topping from Below as opposed to Fifty Shades of Grey. So being that I'm not one to slam books I haven't read, um, hey, we're going to do Fifty Shades of Grey this week. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit about the book. Uh, here's a synopsis from Amazon. When literature student Anastasia Steele goes to interview young entrepreneur Christian Grey, she encounters a man who is beautiful, brilliant, and intimidating. The unworldly, innocent Anna is startled to realize she wants this man and, despite his enigmatic reserve, finds she is desperate to get close to him. Unable to resist Anna's quiet beauty, wit, and independent spirit, Gray admits he wants her too, but on his own terms. Shocked yet thrilled by Gray's singular erotic taste, Anna hesitates. For all the trappings of success, his multinational businesses, his vast wealth, his loving family, Gray is a man tormented by demons and consumed by the need to control. When the couple embarks on a daring, passionately physical affair, Anna <laughs> discovers Christian Grey's secrets and explores her own dark desires. Erotic, amusing, and deeply moving, the Fifty Shades trilogy is a tale that will obsess you, possess you, and stay with you forever. All right. Um, before we move on, I just want to point out that the word erotic was used twice in that synopsis. Um, that's a, that's, a, that's <clears throat> foreshadowing is what, what they call that in, uh, in, in the business. So. Just wanted to get that out of the books. So here's a little bit about the author. Uh, E.L. James is a TV executive, wife and mother of two based in West London. Since early childhood, she dreamt of writing stories that readers would fall in love with, but put those dreams on hold to focus on her family and her career. She finally plucked up the courage to put pen to paper with her first novel, Fifty Shades of Grey, which we're going to be reviewing tonight, um, which then turned into a trilogy, and she is now working on her next novel. Can I just say before we move on that I kind of started um, giggling a little bit during the synopsis. So there's that part that says Gray is a man tormented by demons. And all I kept thinking was, now that would have made one hell of a story <laughs> if he was actually tormented by demons that and, then, and then tried to tell the story. So. That would have been a good element for the story. <laughs> all right. So we're not going to do the whole trilogy unless maybe throughout the course of, of this uh, review, um, Rob and our special co-host um, decide they really want to. And then maybe we can be talked into it. But uh, we needed some help with this one. We didn't want this. Uh, let's face it. This is kind of chick lit. And we didn't want it to come off as uh, just a couple of guys, you know, reading this chick lit book. Yeah. Not yeah. getting it or whatever. So we invited Amanda Gowan to join us. That's right. Um Amanda, as you may know, if you're uh, if you've been listening for a while, we had her on first. Uh, she actually was the first, no, the second interview that we had for the Warmed and Bound sessions, because um, she was a contributor to Warmed and Bound. Uh, we then had her on a second time to be a part of our zombie extravaganza spectacular and talk about Craig Walwork's uh, story, "The Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters," for. Uh, um, 
Midnight Movie Creature Feature that was uh, published by May December Publications. Oh, May December Publications. That reminds me, um, we're kind of in partnership on a contest with May December, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, and that started rolling on May first, so we can just kind of recap these details really quickly. It's a pretty cool promo. Yep. So here's what you can win. You can win a free May-December publications book each month for the entire year of 2013. Rob, tell them what they've got to do to enter. Okay, so in order to enter, um, basically just uh, read a May-December title and post a review on Amazon. And once you've posted a review on Amazon, just go back and comment on that review saying, heard, heard about this through Booked or whatever. And um, that'll count as an entry into this promotion. Uh, no limit to this promotion beyond the fact that there is, I believe right now, 30 books in the May-December shelf. And so um, between now and, well, between May 1st is when it started and December 15th, uh, you can enter up to 30 times for this promotion to be a winner for this uh, really cool prize. It's very cool. You know what's even cooler? That it starts in May and ends in December, just like the publisher's name. There it is. <sighs> so uh, check it out. Uh, we've we've uh, we've talked about the Midnight Movie Creature feature, so that's probably a really good way to get started. But uh, feel free to check out May December's website and see what other kind of stuff they have to offer. Read their books, give them some reviews, and uh, maybe win some free stuff. All right, now we've gotten a little off the beaten track, and what got us on that was um, Amanda Gowan, our guest host. Yeah, so a little bit more about Amanda. Um, She has had several stories appear in Thunderdome, which we've mentioned in the past. She's also been in Nefarious Muse, Blink, Inc. Uh, She appeared in Warmed and Bound, like we said before. She was in uh, In Search of a City, Los Angeles, and A Thousand Words, the anthology that came out earlier this year. She's also appeared in Menacing Hedge and uh, has kind of an ongoing column over at Manarchy called Appalachian Acumen. Um, So she's got a lot going on, and... um, like I said, we've had her on a few times before. Amanda, thanks again for joining us on here on Booked. I am happy to be here, even under the circumstances of the uh, book. Wow. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a little bit different. This the uh, the episode for everybody that's listening. The episode is going to be a little bit more of a format, like we did with our zombie extravaganza, where we're going to bring up some talking points and go over it a little bit and just move on to the next thing. So. Um, before we get into our, our little uh, list of talking points, uh, I, I was fascinated. And the reason that I was compelled to, to read this book more than anything was that it's, it's weird origins, which was um, the story was originally a piece of fan fiction for Twilight, and it was called Master of the Universe, which I just picture Skeletor uh, <laughs> immediately when I see that title. So I take it. And then, I mean, the, it was written under the, the pen name of Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Um so we're looking at <laughs> that just cracks me up. I know. <laughs> so like it, it's basically please don't ever take me seriously is what the you know the title of the story could have been. Um yeah, so it went from being Twilight fan fiction to being a, a best selling book, and that's what piqued my interest about it. And I also wanted to subject people to reading a book that I didn't expect to be that great. Uh. <laughs> um Livius, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, the story? Okay, so this, and this is, again, a little bit of a rehash that we talked about on our interlude episode. Um, at least as of a week ago, this was number one, number two, and number three, the trilogy, were one, two, and three on the New York Times ebook bestseller list. 
So this obviously also caught our attention, as this, I think, has happened with the Hunger Games, and I don't know if there's been any other trilogy to take the top three spots at the same time. But the thing that this book does is it um, it's uh, a lot of women reading it, um, and apparently a lot of women reading it because of its uh, kind of kinky sexual content. Yeah, it's uh, pretty heavy into um, some some bondage kind of stuff dominance and submissives and all that kind of stuff and uh it's it's been very you know commonly referred to as being mommy porn i'm totally in the demographic like i'm like the exact demographic like the married over 30 with children you know mm-hmm. type. and that's it makes me sad that this is what women <laughs> are reading that they're really really into it well, to make to make matters more interesting, I just saw a piece on uh, on another one of these uh, like daytime half news shows, like a I don't know, like an Entertainment Tonight type show, where they were talking to managers at different um, you know, sex boutiques, and how they've seen a very very sharp uprise in um, in sales of uh, handcuffs, uh, you know, riding crops, uh, blindfolds, and that type of thing, and it's all directly attributed to this book. Oh yeah, I was talking to um, a coworker of mine. I mentioned him before. He was the one that read this book, um, and he was saying that yeah, sex shops and stuff are now um, offering classes like intro to BDSM kind of stuff um, because specifically because these books came out and they were so popular. Do you think it's because it makes it okay since it's popular, like among sort of a a safe group? like a safe demographic, like it's totally, you know, that makes it not dirty anymore. I just chalk it up to being a fad. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, yeah, it's that it's not dirty anymore. It's Edward and Bella doing really nasty shit. And yeah. Really yeah. liked that in Twilight. Or they wanted, you know, I think they really wanted that to happen, but it didn't. The thing with it is it's just that, you people are getting it, and I think that this is just the very, 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 very light side of BDSM. So I don't know that that's exactly what you can. What I, I know it's what you would call it because it technically is, and what it's being referred to. But I don't necessarily know that this is an accurate portrayal of the BDSM community. Yeah, and that actually ties in with one of the things we were going to talk about. There's an article on Lit Reactor um, about uh, questioning whether this book was harmful for the way that it. Per, uh, portrays BDSM. Uh, Liv, you want to talk a little bit about the article? Because I didn't read it. <laughs> oh, that's okay. The, the Lit Reactor article pointed to um, a, a like blog, a blog post. post Yeah, from somebody who um, claims to be a part of the BDSM community that called this book um, dangerous and harmful. And the reason being is that uh, the gist of it is that women would see this go, oh, this is BDSM. This sounds kind of fun. You know, I can wear a blindfold and get spanked and that they would seek out the BDSM lifestyle, which is a lot more intense than this book could ever kind of purport to, to be. Well, see, I, I saw it as like a totally like different, like sort of affront to like that community because I don't see it as like, it wasn't BDSM as much as like, just sort of like a weird sort of abusive relationship under the guise of the BDSM. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of that's kind of what my thought was is like uh it's not like the title of the book is, you know, BDSM for dummies or something. It's 
you know well it's kind of dumb stories for anyway uh, <laughs> um, well and it's the the girl is doing it because she thinks this is the only way to keep him mm-hmm. like not because like like okay, this is the relationship you know and this is what we're into and these are the roles that we're picking it's more like i mean they don't really foreshadow or she doesn't really well she tries to foreshadow or imply but she just kind of outright says that he's into this because of some past trauma and the girl is into it because she wants to keep him and i don't really think that's you know what the bdsm community would want it to be like this is why you get into bdsm because i want to keep my man and well somebody burned me when i was little you know that's um that's a very good point um to elaborate a little bit on the book and we're probably going to go pretty spoiler heavy on this um, there's no reason there's no reason to not go spoiler <laughs> christian gray the the male lead in the book is is very much into bdsm and at one point through in the book he actually presents um, anastasia with a contract which kind of lists out the things that that she should or reasonably needs to or find acceptable or reasonably needs to expect from him in this the sexual portion of their relationship and on there I think is a pretty good representation having zero BDSM experience myself but I mean there was a lot of things on there that were much much harsher than the book than their relationship actually portrayed I mean what it broke down to is he spanked her a couple of times um, he spanked her with a belt uh, and he tied her up like twice. So they yeah, didn't get into the contract. So that was the thing was they never actually entered into the right. relationship on right. the terms of the, you know, contract. So, so I think Christian was on. So let's pretend these are real people. I, I think Christian was actually a member of the BDSM community. He had the ideas, the the concepts, the things that he wanted, you know, that were in his contract were probably a, a fair representation. I'm going to guess of what the BDSM lifestyle can contain. Now, the part that women are taking away from this is I think they're throwing all that away and thinking, well, Anastasia got smacked on her butt a couple times and it was kind of sexy and this is something I would like to do. I want to do BDSM. Right. Yeah. And I like Amanda's point, too, because like if you can if you take BDSM and you change it to something else like, you know, um, I really dig this guy or this girl or whatever. And um, if it means I have to, you know have a threesome to keep him or you know if i have to you know like really you could put anything in there and like it's really compromising your integrity um and it's not a it's not a healthy relationship so i i agree with what you said about that being a bad portrayal of of a bdsm uh relationship but uh, yeah and she actually like says that in the like text itself yeah. like you know if this is what i have to know like i have it highlighted i highlighted it specifically <laughs> like it's like, um, I want to be with you, and if that's what I have to do, I would like to try, but I don't. But I think I'll suck at it and end up black and blue, and I don't relish that idea at all. Yeah. Like, that's a direct quote from, like, her to him about how she felt about it. Well, all right. In, in now, outside of the story, in all fairness, if she said, no, no thanks, I think I'll pass, we wouldn't have had a book to read. <laughs> that so it's like that, that suspension, well, that suspension of disbelief at some point has to come. You know, you have to have the story. We didn't have much of a book to read anyway. But um, uh, here's the thing, and this is actually a different thing that I wrote down that that I thought very consistently throughout the book was like throughout the entire thing. Again, much like um, you know, Christian was 
well established as being an actual member of the BDSM community and she wasn't. She acts like everything that goes on is a surprise or unexpected where he's very forthcoming about everything and, and honest about everything, about his intentions, about what he wants, what he doesn't yeah. want. And, yeah. and, and still she's confused and confounded. And I just don't understand why that would be, you know, like he's definitely living in a different level than she is in the book. Like she's just, and, and it's kind of unfortunate that we're seeing everything from her perspective because it's a very broken and stupid perspective. <laughs> Wow. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Not pulling punches tonight for Anastasia. Sorry. Again, you see this Christian character as being very, um, at least in my opinion, like you know what's going on with him. There's really no secrets, no surprises, but she's just muddled in her own misunderstanding of everything. That's how I feel. He's really hot, so she wants to like get him to like her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole yeah. first time. Yeah. That's the perspective. That's like the female perspective in the book. It, it, yeah, and I like we're gonna him, talk but he's a lot. Kind of weird. <laughs> We're going to talk a lot about repetition in this book, but you bring up an interesting point. Um, You know, it was rare in this book that three pages went by that, you know, that she wasn't saying how unbelievably handsome he is, how beautiful he is, how freaking hot he is. What he smells like. It was great. (laughs) Yeah, what he smells like. That's like really all she thinks about when she thinks about him. Yeah, and, and it's just, it's one of those, like, we get it. We probably got it by the third or fourth time you mentioned it, but there are, you know, dozens of, of mentions of how incredibly attractive he is. So what we have is <clears throat> really, really attractive guy with a ton of money who's interested in, in this girl. So this is all perfect, I think, up until the point where you introduce the, the, the I'm going to tie you up and, 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 and hit you with things portion of it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where it gets that's where the book gets a little funky. And that's what causes all of the, uh, you know, anything that any dynamic in this book comes specifically from that. There is no other story except for he wants to spank me and I'd really like to be with him. Yeah. And it reads very much like a bunch of sex scenes written and then like a plot written sort of to like weave these things together to make it into like a story so that they can tell the dirty parts. That's really that. interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that was an interesting point. That was really the only place there was any real like detail or even like the writer sounded like she was interested in what was going on was in the, you know, the sex scenes. The rest of it was just very, um, you know, and this is happening, and then this other thing's happening. This is because that's the way I kind of felt like just as a book, like, even though I don't like Twilight, and you know, if you ignore everything like about like uh, the origins of it, like if you were just reading it, there was never any part where I was inside the story, like, I was always reading words on a page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree like, with that. I was never drawn in. I was never inside the story. And there's usually, you know, that mention of like, oh, well, this pulled me out of the story. This pulled me out of the story. Like, those are your criticisms of a book. But I was never in the story. I was always, it was just words on a page that I was reading. I'll agree with that. I'll, I'll go with that for sure. Um, and really, like, as far as the characters, like Livia said, she thought he was hot. But, like, I can't think of really anything. All right, so... If I were to describe in the fullest detail I could, this Christian dude, rich, 
hot, kinky, uh, really likes this chick. And, like, that's really it. I mean, like, the dude is very flat as a character. And I think that's kind of the case with all the characters. I know that he has gray pants. He has gray pants that was mentioned a few times, too. <laughs> that hang off his hips in that yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I got that, too. That was... But I mean, the same with Anastasia. Like, what? How would any of you describe Anastasia? She's a young college chick who was, you know, inexperienced in relationships. But I think that is intentional. I think that's intentional. I think that's the only thing that, like, uh, the what's her name, Meyer, that wrote Twilight, mm-hmm. and I don't remember this James, right? Her last name's James. That- mm-hmm. Yeah, James. James. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the part that they're getting right as opposed to like most like romance novels is instead of like painting this like perfect woman, they're leaving this like blank. Like, why is he attracted to her? We don't know why, what makes her so special. I think that's the only part that might be the key to why the sales and everything are so good is because it's so unexplainable. It could be any woman. That's true. That actually makes me think of, I put a link in our our notes for, um, the oatmeal, which is one of my favorite online, you know, websites. It's kind of a web comic kind of situation, and he very—it's all co- comedy—and he very succinctly explains why Twilight is so popular. And that's one of the big things he says is like, she's an empty shell that the reader can just like, yeah, put the, you know, kind of wear as the you know, over themselves. So the reader becomes Bella in that case. Yeah. And it, you know, and who doesn't want? Some super hot person that's rich, always wanting to take care of you and, and protect you. Man, if they're going to show up in your room in the middle of the night, then no. <laughs> but, hey. but see, okay, so you brought up an interesting point, and Rob and I had this conversation earlier because I knew you were going to touch on that stalkerish kind of issue. <laughs> <clears throat> so here it is. Lots and lots and lots of women are buying this book, and lots and lots of them are really liking this book. So and that makes me sad. Well, I, and I know it does, but doesn't that kind of speak to the fact that Christian is the guy they want? Because the flip side of this is this story is told from Christian's kind of like a drunk guy who comes home and smacks Anna around, and then nobody reads the book. Right. So what you're saying, Livius, is that deep down, these readers want someone to stalk them and beat them? Uh, oddly <laughs> enough, that's not, not exactly. Here's what I honestly think, okay? I think that ideally, like in a fantasy world, that's what they want. But then if you're around too much, that doesn't work out for them. So it goes back to just women being women and kind of being indecisive. <laughs> All right, Amanda, chime I, in. Okay, I have, I, have a, I have a point about this. Um, if you take, okay, take someone that's very, very, okay, if you have a relationship that you're unhappy in or a total lack of relationship where you have 10 cats, the thing that you're going to want is the most opposite of that. Like if you feel like neglected or unnoticed or very, very lonely, like the very opposite of that is someone that cannot stay away from you, that cannot stop giving you attention, that cannot stop thinking about you. And that's the only explanation that I have that people are not just going, this is weird. This is weird. He's (laughs) creepy. That's not right. That's, you know, it's just the, you know, that need for, you know, different, strange, Total, total, total attention, total devotion, total, you know, one track mind, just that person focused only on you. So for people who haven't read this, which I'm going to get the feeling is most of our listeners, 
um, there are at least, I don't know, at least three that I can think of off the top of my head situations in this book where Christian just shows up. So it goes something like this. Anna and Christian are emailing back and forth. She gets kind of snarky and says something that he doesn't like. She doesn't get a response. And 20 minutes later, he's standing in her hotel room or he's standing over her at dinner with her, you know, she's having with her mother in Atlanta, you know, many, many states away. So he does have this uh, this ability because of his money and everything else to kind of keep track of her where she is, which was a little creepy. Um, and Super then to kind of just with a cape <laughs> and, and to, like show up there like I jumped in my jet and flew down because I didn't like this text message I got from you kind of thing and wanted to make sure that everything was OK. Well, and here's here's the way I read the relationship, which is a little bit different. And uh, the way I see it is this uh, Christian is is there's two aspects to him. One, he's got this kink to him that throughout the book, you realize that she's willing to kind of tolerate but doesn't really like and then the other aspect is that he's broken and so you've got this broken person who i think that's who she cares about and in a way wants to fix him um and so she tolerates this this uh this fucked up side of him so that she can try and you know because she cares about him you know fix him and change him and so there's the whole relationship dynamic of changing someone uh that kind of thing and, and really the draw there's a big draw of like fixing someone and and as much as he's obsessed about protecting her and stuff i think in a way this character really wants to fix the broken person i think that's like also the story of like every abusive relationship <laughs> yeah exactly like oh you know he's like this but he can change yeah exactly that's uh i can change him <laughs> i'm the special one <laughs> Yeah, and throwing blame on herself. Yes, and, and yes. It's like, I can tolerate this until I make him better. Yeah, exactly. It's really twisted when you really get down. And it's sick that we're analyzing this so much because it's really not that like deep of a book. But but it is because so many people are reading this and not getting like that weird subtext. They think that this is good stuff. But it's like the same as like you know people using the Sting song every breath you take, every move you make, like that's like their wedding song. That's like the creepy. I mean, that's creepy. Yeah, it is. That's, you know, I just find sting creepy all around. <laughs> Livius, well, he's not down with the tantric credit, to stings credit. He even thinks that song is supposed to be about a stalker. And he thinks that's creepy when people, you know, not that I read a lot about sting, but I actually do remember like seeing that on something that he thought that that was weird. But people would be like, Oh, that's our song. And he's like, okay, it's weird. You know, like that's, bizarre it's about a stalker <laughs> yeah. um so okay so he stalks her <laughs> now here's 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 my my one of my other issues so their relationship for listeners to follow along progresses from she's kind of shocked and appalled that that he lives this lifestyle and that basically he wants her to be a part of and he initially tries to bring her on as a almost as an employee basically where they would sign this contract. He would have her every weekend, um, you know, every weekend, every month, you know, she would be his and she would have to abide by these rules, which were, um, you know, to obey everything he says to, you know, use only yes, sir, to not look him in the eye. And then there was a list of the sexual acts that he could perform with her at any given time. And it's a laundry list of sticks and stones basically is what it boils down to. So it goes from that to her saying she's kind of willing to try. And then there's a spanking scene that, by the way, she totally loves afterwards. And she's never slept better in her life. And she <laughs> feels this release. Well, but here's here's where it gets weird. So there's that. 
the the next time they're together in a you know BDSM kind of way, I think they're in his uh, his dungeon room, his playroom, whatever he calls it. And oh, she wait, gets wait, I remember the red room of pain. Yeah, <laughs> exactly the red the red room of pain. Yeah. So they're in there and, you know, and she becomes very submissive and he ties her up and, and does stuff to her. And she absolutely loves it. Mm-hmm. So it keeps progressing to she's like, I don't know if I can do this, but she's perfectly fine with all of it until the the last time in this book that it happens. And that kind of comes to he uh, he whips her with a belt and she's like, whoa, this is way, way, way too much. And she 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 dumps his ass. So but the thing I had, but I don't understand is that, so I, just personally thinking about any, anything, not BDSM necessarily. Okay. So I go, I don't know, you know, I'm going to try this. And I go, I take this first baby step and I go, Hey, this was pretty cool. I, I like this. And I take the next step and I go, Hey, this is okay. You know, she keeps going, but as I would do that, I wouldn't keep questioning necessarily what I was doing because I enjoyed the step before. Does that make any sense to anybody? So you're saying there's an inconsistency and in, in, yes, in the way that she, Mm-hmm. The progression. Right. Yep. Because she questions it. But like I said, she she gets her ass beat the first time. And she's like, <laughs> you know what? That didn't even really hurt. And I really enjoyed that. And oh, my God. The sex was great. And it was this really. And she actually says, I never slept better in my life or something along those lines. So then. But then she's like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Well, you know, draw the limit at where it is. Then. I mean, she keeps trying these different things. And she's she's OK with all of them until she's not. And at the point where she's not is finally when the conflict, you know, rises and she says, okay, I have to walk away from this. But they have to end it that way or they can't have a second book. Also, there's a difference between those two scenes. The the first ones you mentioned and the last mm-hmm. one. And the last one, she basically told him, show me what, show me how bad it can get or show me what right, you yes. really want mm-hmm. or whatever. Because he was, mm-hmm. in an, in essence, holding back when he was doing it before. And she said, you know give me the real deal and he did and she was like freaked out about it but at the same time again she told him to do it and then she holds it against him so that was i i had a lot of issues with the the final chapter of the book i thought it was horribly written and very flimsy and and not realistic at all no see this is where i've got to disagree with you that was that was probably my favorite part of the book but I mean, it doesn't hold true. I mean, because there's a second book and then a third book. Mm-hmm. So I mean, obviously the breakup is just written so that there can be a lead into the second <laughs> book, so that you can find out what happens with the two of them in the next book, how they work it out. Yep. Yep. Which, like I said, I thought it was actually well written. I thought that was probably, other than like the little flirty scenes, like early on, I thought that was probably the most realistically written. Their breakup was probably done better than than most of the other interactions they had throughout the course of the book i yeah and i disagree like it felt very orchestrated to me because like i mean it felt like it had a definite structure to it like you amp up the the personal stuff and then all of a sudden i don't know like in in an inconsistent way she's telling him to like you know take it to the limit basically which we should use that as one of the songs for the (laughs) anyway (laughs) um and so he does, and she gets mad at him about it. And I mean, it was like it was at the point where like you would think, hey, you know, if this was a one one book situation, this is when everything would resolve itself, and they'd realize where their relationship can go and stuff. But all of a sudden, there was this hitch at the end where everything's working out great. She tells him to do the thing, he hits her, and that's it. And it was just like, and they had a conversation about it. And so they start having this constructive conversation about it. 
and they're like, well, you know, I love you and I love you. And then she's like, but I can't give you what you want. And he's like, well, I can't give you what you want. And that's it. And that's essentially what happens. <laughs> it just seems so unrealistic to me. It was like, they're really, it seemed like they were really trying and they were really making progress until for no reason at all, they both decided, I can't give you what you want. Yes, no. Crickets? <laughs> I mean, so much of that does does lead into the fact that there's a second book. So, But unfortunately, we have to kind of treat this. I mean, here's the problem with writing a trilogy is you don't ever know that someone's going to get to book two if book one's not any good. So we almost have to treat it like this is the end of the story as they have broken up. Now, we know that's not a factor. There wouldn't be Fifty Shades Darker and whatever the other one's called after the fact. So... If, you know, if there wasn't some kind of reconciliation. So this is like the cliffhanger ending. Right. But you just said that you thought it went well. And I. No, I thought that the dynamic. Here's here's some of the things there. There are a couple <laughs> things I liked about this book. Some of her inner dialogue at times was very interesting. And I thought very realistic because she's very conflicted. She's doing these things. She's not really sure she wants to do because she really wants to be with this guy now. Call that crazy, call it broken, call it whatever. I think that's what goes on in people's heads sometimes. So yeah, I call I think, it realistic. Yeah, it a lot, I think. And I think that their their breakup at the end, the way the scene was was all put together, I particularly liked. I think they both kind of drew a line in the sand, and neither one of them was willing to cross over that line. And uh, and that's what happens is when you, you have irreconcilable differences. Theirs, of course, is over a belt. Um, so I don't know. I thought I thought their breakup scene was one of the best scenes in the book. I think if I had not been so, like, ready to, like, punch her in the face, like, by the time I got to that part, by the end of the book, that, like, I would have, I would be able to look at that scene more objectively, but, like, I knew that there was a second book, and I knew that they had to have, you know, that there was something coming as a lead-in, and I mm -hmm. wondered, while I was reading, instead of being in the story, I was wondering how they were going to set it up for the second book. Amanda, if you told Anastasia that she was really pretty and you cared about her, she might have let you punch her in the face. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the woman that <laughs> but then wrote she it. Been oh, okay. about it. All right, I gotcha. So I just thought, just tell her she's pretty and that you like her and you're going to buy her things and she'll be like, all right, I'll try it. Just don't punch me in the face really hard. I'm going to start doing that in Walmart. I'm going to see like how that goes. Like just with like random women. Be like, I think you're really pretty. But like in order for us to be friends, I'm going to need to punch you in the face like, whenever I feel like <laughs> You have to have those gray pants. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So the gray pants. So you guys both agreed, Christian, totally flat. There was nothing you liked about this character. Yeah, I huh? kept trying to like, I like I kept picturing that, what's his name? The pale kid from Twilight. And I kept trying to put James Spader like over top of him to make the book <laughs> easier to read. And it just kept not working because it just kept, I didn't care. <laughs> and I was like, no, just be James Spader so that I can get through this. And I'll have you say it in the James Spader voice. And I'm like, this isn't working. Um. It's, not, it's not working. And then, and then I was, I was checking Facebook while I was reading it because you can do a lot of things while you're reading this book at the same time. It's really not going to interfere with like your progress Whoa. or like how you're processing it. Um, and the George Takai post came up and he has the whole, oh my, you know, mm -hmm. thing that he puts on everything. So then, you know, that happens to be something that she says a lot, like with her inner monologue is, <laughs> oh my. So like after that, from about like 30% through the book, from then on out, every time she said, oh my, 
like I heard it in George Takai's voice. Like that was the way. Like, That's terrible. No, it actually made it like more tolerable for me to get through because then it made the book funnier instead of just painful. So it helped a little. Um, Livius, I will agree. I didn't, I didn't think that there were really any compelling characters. And I will say, I just thought about this right now. Very disappointed that we didn't make it to Jose's uh, gallery showing. I'm hoping that's in book two. <laughs> oh, I'm oh. I'm sure it's another explosive jealousy fight coming in. So book he's two. the werewolf, right? Yeah, he's the werewolf. <laughs> he's okay. be the werewolf. Got it. Um, we did you have a did you have a thread you were going on with a likable characters thing? I was, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bump that for for now, so we can talk a little bit about the similarities between this and Twilight. Now, Amanda, you did not read Twilight, correct? No. Huh. Okay. All right. So I, I'll go. I'll I go. Saw. I'll go as the expert so. on this. Anastasia was frighteningly similar to Bella. Um, you know, had no belief in herself, thought she was too plain, couldn't see why somebody attractive was interested in her. Um, even to the point that Bella was extremely clumsy. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. As was Anastasia. Um, you know, so you've got that. So there's, there's, this is like the five year older version of, of Bella. And she's and then, made it far. She's gone really far in those five years. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, the uh, <laughs> so the Christian, the Christian um, Edward, um, it just it, again, you know, Bella it could t- do nothing but talk about how stunningly beautiful Edward is. Of course, his whole family is very beautiful because they're vampires, and that's just one of their characteristics in the in the Twilight world. But he's rich. Um, Edward buys Bella or wants to buy Bella a car because her car is the death trap. She's driving this rusty old pickup truck. Um, Anastasia gets a car bought for her by Christian because her little Volkswagen, his Volks, her Volkswagen Beetle is too dangerous for her to drive. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean the, the the similarities just go on and on to the point where, obviously, there were no vampires in this one, um, and no werewolves or anything else. But I mean, their relationship is is uh, even the. I'm too dangerous to be with you. I swear some of those lines were, were taken just directly from Twilight. It's the same thing Edward tells Bella. The difference is that he's afraid he's actually going to kill her, um, you know, unwittingly kill her because of his strength and being a vampire and stuff. And with Christian, it's just the it, I'm going to I'm no good for you because all I really want to do is is chain you up and, you know, stick you with hot pokers or whatever it is. <laughs> So the similarities are very, very apparent and obvious to anybody who's. Uh... But did Bella have a hot, slutty roommate? No, Bella didn't even have any friends, really. I mean, yeah. she did some peripheral friends in high school, but no, no hot, slutty roommate. That's too bad. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she, maybe she could have stood to have a hot, slutty roommate. But yeah, Jose definitely was um, the stupid werewolf guy, right? Yeah. Uh, 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 Jacob, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. I um, I, yeah, I don't know because Bella actually really liked Jacob, and I don't even think she really likes Jose. Even as a friend, I don't get the feeling she really likes him. I think he's just been around for a while. I thought that she did. I think again, the character suffers for being a tool for whatever plot she was trying to work at. But like, I think what we're supposed to think about Jose is that he's a character that um, he's kind of the 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 solid friend who likes her more than she likes him, but she really likes, you know, she depends on him as a, as a close friend and everything. Um, but he really was just a device for jealousy in the, in the story and, the, and not much more. Yeah. And he yeah. comes up kind of creepy too, but I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. 
porn. I mean, it's all just creepy guys and. So this this actually raises a good question that that Livius and I were talking about, um, and and I think we both had different ideas on on what the question should be. But what reception would the book have had if it was written by a dude rather than written by a woman? Do you think it would have, have changed the the reception of the book at all, or the way people thought about it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, even if it was, like, if he said, like, I love Twilight. This is actually, I'm just marketing this from Twilight. People would be like, you sick, sick person. Yeah. <laughs> how many do. how many soccer moms would buy it, do you think? Right. Like, none. And, yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe a lot. I don't know. But they would say that they didn't. So. <laughs> the thing that I was thinking, too, is, and I told Livius earlier on, I think it would have been a much more interesting book if it was told from Christian's perspective. Um, just because she's so stupid and, and unreliable as a as a person with thoughts, and <laughs> at least his was very regimented and like you know, honest and and realistic. So it would have been, I think, more interesting. To yeah, see he that. had a very structured personality. She was just kind of floating around. See, and that's where I was getting with likable characters. I thought Christian could have been a likable character. So, like, his, you know, the little bit of backstory we get on him and his structure and stuff could have made, again, for very interesting reading had he really have been the focus and not the inside of, of Anna's head. Um, the problem with him was is that he got, he was really wishy-washy. Like, he was, he's got, like, this contract. And, you know, within the contract, he says, look, there's some things we can decide and there's hard limits of things we won't do. And that's cool as long as I understand up front what you're not good for. And what he's really saying is, look, I'll take two or three of these three of these things off of here if you sign up for the rest is the message I got from him. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, well, and at this point I'm thinking, okay, she's going to sign on for this. And what we're going to see is this transition that she goes through to try to be the woman that right. he right. wants. So that story kind of as I'm reading this and, and quite honestly expecting it to be not that enjoyable as I'm reading through this, I go, you know, this this could really go somewhere. This could be a really good story. And what happens instead is Christian goes, I can't have a relationship, a normal relationship with you. This is what it is. Um, you know, two days a week, we're going to hook up. You know, we're going to be in the red room of pleasure, I think is what he referred to it as. I'm going to tie you up. I'm going to whip you with things. We're going to have sex, and you're going to be very <laughs> subservient all weekend. And then Anna goes, yeah, no, I don't really think I want to do any of that. And he's like, well, how about we just have coffee instead? <laughs> Thoughts, Amanda? <laughs> well, I think that that's like a really like clumsy way of um, the writer trying to show that she did maybe have the power to change him, that she was the different one. She was the one that was having the magical, you know, effect on him that the other 15 women before her mm -hmm. had not had. You know, he'd had these 15 very, you know, whatever things that had worked with the weekend beatings and pokings and burnings and whatnots. And that had all worked fine until her, then he got it, wishy washy, which, which I, which I would have been okay with had he have stuck to his guns for a while, Yeah. but it took absolutely nothing from yeah. her. Her just going, yeah, I really don't want to do that. And he's like, all right, how about we cuddle? <laughs> like, that, but that's how it was throughout the whole book. You know, right. I mean, that's how I felt was that every time she basically backed off, he would be like, oh, no, no, that's OK, baby. You can touch me. Oh, no, no. We could. This man has never slept in a bed with a woman. Right. He's 24. Been with at least. Well, he's been with 15 women in the BDSM type relationships that, that he's in. Has never slept with one. 
she starts crying the first time they're intimate. Yeah, and, and, he, yeah. and, 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 and he says, because the yeah. first thing he says, I don't sleep with women. I don't, that's never happened. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll spend the night. <laughs> right. That was like, yes. Right off so, the bat, it was like, what? you're not even going to try, like, not even two or three nights. You're not going to stretch this out, like, a month. You know, like, even in Pretty Woman, like, the whole kissing thing. Like, didn't they hold off for, like, five minutes? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here, like, it took, like, a, you know, a couple of blowjobs for her to get to kiss him in Pretty Woman. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... just... Thank, um, thanks for classing it up for us. I appreciate there's, that. There's no class in this book up. Um... Here's the thing that I disliked about it. I know that Livius in his heart is really trying to <laughs> to like this Christian character. He's just, I like a character with some flaws. And and at least, and maybe it's just because we're seeing it through the really stupid eyes of Anastasia, um, who I hate. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's no flaws in this guy. And, and to, I mean, to the extent that you could argue that him being like the most, the biggest pushover dominant ever is, creepy. is a flaw. Guy. Um, and a creepy stalker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, to her, like, he can do no wrong. And and that just makes him so boring and, and silly. I don't know. And and every character, there's no character that's likable if you think about it. The slutty roommate um, who hates Christian and thinks there's something's wrong with him, what's the worst that she does? She, like, antagonizes him a little bit, like, when she's in his presence by saying things that she's not supposed to. Right, to give him reasons to be able to do the jealous type yeah. things, you know. Just... She taunts him, basically. Jose, uh, um, it, he is a photographer who's in love with Anastasia, who gets pissed like once. That um, Oh, and everybody's asking her out. The guy at the fucking uh, 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 hardware store or whatever, the, the son of the yeah. owner, he wants to date her, this Jose guy. So everybody wants to date her. They're all stupid, pointless characters, and um, <laughs> nothing happened. I mean, like, I think that the guy that I like the most—I'm trying to think of—I'm trying to think of like her, her, uh, her stepdad. I think I thought he was pretty cool. He's well, a pretty solid character. Well, that's the same as in Twilight. Like, he, the only person that's like even halfway likable is like her dad in Twilight. It's the same thing. He has a mustache. He's a nice guy. <laughs> He's just trying to be a good dad. <laughs> the mustache know. does lend some credibility, I guess. <laughs> Firemen have them, right? Exactly. You know. I'm, I'm you sure. guys realize there's a guy with a mustache on this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you would be the likable character. You would. I'd be, be the likable character. All right, guys, hold on. Right. I think we can all we can all agree. Christian's bodyguard was a likable character. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That guy was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But he, he was like the sympathetic one. He's the one who would like look at Anna and feel her pain and give her like a tissue. <laughs> right or a, a yeah. lollipop whatever you do in those type of <laughs> alright so steering away from the gigantic flaws of the book um, you want to talk about just some sillier things um, <laughs> I already talked about George Takai that's <laughs> true um, well I, I have some alright so one thing that Livius mentioned that well this isn't silly but it's not so much uh, story based as it is just kind of you know detail based the page on Am- or the book on Amazon is listed as being 528 pages long. Do we, any of us really think it was actually 528 pages of substance? Not a chance. No, no. There and, were only like four scenes, right? And then like her inner monologue the rest of the time. Pretty oh much. Oh God, that inner monologue. <laughs> but Livius made a great point earlier, which I guess I can let you say because it was your great point. 
Um, I always make great points. I'm I'm gonna guess at which one you're talking about. It's the mustache um, that's making these great points. Yes, exactly. Um, this this book was was really really stretched out to make it look like a good twenty two dollar value at the at the Barnes and Noble, and that's that five hundred twenty eight pages was just to give it substance that didn't exist in the book itself. Really and, and when I say that here, yeah, here are some of the examples. Um, the the contract that I mentioned before is printed in its entirety twice and then half of it another time so it's a couple pages worth of reading that you've already read verbatim from the last one mm -hmm. there are a series of emails which they're okay so again i said there's a few things i liked i liked their emailing back and forth i thought some of that was was clever and 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 kind of cutesy and, and whatever and fit this type of story very well but my point is, there are all these emails that had these huge headers. It was the date, the time, who it was from, who it was to, and then at the bottom was like the signature thing. So, over a course of like five or six pages, you're reading ten emails where the the there is more substance, textual substance to the headers and the footers than there is to the body of the email, and it's all right. fluff to make this book 528 pages long. I hadn't even thought of that because, yeah, there were like a couple of emails that were just like a winky smiley face, but mm -hmm. the full header and the full footer and, you know, a subject line and, you know, the signature, yep. all of it was there. Mm -hmm. It was all it was all fluff to take what was maybe yeah. a 350 page book. Do you guys think that's that's fair? 350 yeah. pages? Yeah. Maybe. And if you cut it down to just like the scenes that took place, like it's like 25 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> and if you cut it down and if you cut it down to like what the book was actually about, which was just the scenes, the sex scenes that were strung together with a story so that they could do Twilight porn, it was like 10 pages long. I'll agree with that. That's yeah. And that's what that's one of the things I was thinking was if you edited this. All right. So I'm going to go into my stats really quick. I made some great statistics for this and I'm just going to run through them. I don't think we have to talk about it too much, but one of the problems with this book is crazy rampant repetition and if if a lot of this was cut out or at least you know like built upon or changed or you know something the book would have been like a lot more enjoyable first of all and probably a lot more streamlined christian cocks his head to the side 23 times throughout the book um and that's like one of the things like she's always she's always pointing out the same thing over and over again she anastasia cocks her head ironically two different times in the book. Um, and then she actually witnesses two other people cock their head in a way that makes her think of Christian another <laughs> two times in the book. <laughs> she, <laughs> uh, she says holy with a, with a word after it. Um, all right. So like, holy shit. Um, or here, here's a list. She says, holy shit, holy crap, holy fuck, holy cow, holy hell, holy Moses and holy mackerel in this book. Um, if you add them all up 158 times, which is once every three and a third pages, uh, holy shit, she says 54 times, crap 41 times, fuck 23 times, cow 19 times, hell 12 times, Moses 8 times, and one mackerel. Um, <laughs> we get to save the holy mackerel. That one's special. That's true. For a big occasion. And speaking of crap, and um, this is actually, I, I went through and, and did this after the fact because I, I was looking through our conversation on Facebook about this. The word crap, as in double crap or oh crap, uh, appears and holy crap appears in the book 93 times <laughs> so you've got this like amanda said a lot of her inner monologue and everything and it's just her saying the same shit over and over again and it could i mean she didn't have to react 
to everything. And holy shit. I mean, it was like at least once or twice a chapter. It was yep. just, it was so over the edge repetition with stuff. It was crazy. And if they hadn't, maybe if they hadn't been so like eager to market this thing, like while it was so, you know, everyone was talking about it, like they could have like talked to this woman and said, you know, why don't you use some of this time and <laughs> some of these pages to make real characters and like fill in a real backstory mm -hmm. and just breathe some life into something somewhere as opposed to just inner monologuing it, stringing the sex scenes together. You know, I mean, it could have been done. Mm -hmm. Instead, instead, somebody at the, uh, somebody at the publishing house said, we really like this inner goddess thing that you're doing, <laughs> but there's definitely not enough of it in this book. That, that was at war. <laughs> that was like at war with her subconscious. I got really confused on those too, like, yeah, that was going to be my point. Here's here's what I thought about this. So I'm going to preface by saying this. I at the beginning, I really thought this was a clever idea. So this is the good, you know, the angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other shoulder that we've seen before. Right. Right. And she has named these. One is her inner goddess. That's the girl that wants to be sexy and that that, you know, that that blushes when she's told she's beautiful. And then she's got her subconscious. That's the realistic one that's saying, Hey, seriously, we don't want to be beat with a belt. Like, that's not cool. We need to walk away from this. So I thought it was kind of clever. And her inner goddess does the cutest thing. So, um, you know, Christian tells her she looks pretty. The inner goddess does three backflips. So I go, you know, this is kind of clever and kind of cute. 58 mentions of the inner goddess in this book, in this 500 page book, which doesn't sound that bad. But when you really think about it, it's like 350 pages. And now it's just goddamn annoying. <laughs> right. Yeah. So she had a great idea. I thought it was a great idea, and it was a cute way to approach an inner monologue because, you know what, we're like that sometimes. We're vain. So the vain part of her really enjoys this attention. And instead of saying the vain part of me really enjoys the attention, she, you know, materializes this this little person that lives inside her that's giddy about it. And I thought that was really well done. The first seven or eight times, maybe even if she would have found a different name, it's just inner goddess, inner goddess, inner goddess, inner goddess. And that's how the book reads. It's, it's about her inner goddess. Amanda, you got anything about that? It's just more like face punching. It's like, <laughs> here's Amanda, my, how, how does your, how does your inner goddess feel about this? Like she wants to punch this, the other inner goddess in the face and then find the woman that wrote. No, I can't say that because, Oh no. Cause if people listen to this, they'll think if she gets hit by a car or some random person like punches her in the face, people are going to look for me. I can't, it was Gowan. I'm going to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my thought on the whole inner goddess and, and subconscious thing. First of all, not a big, uh, not really read up on what a subconscious is, but I thought that was like something that you don't have direct interaction with. It's something that happens like, <laughs> Right? Am I right about that? Like your subconscious you is something that functions on a level separate right. from your that's, conscious that's thought. That's the part of the iceberg that's like below the surface. <laughs> yeah, and it functions right. without communication interaction with your conscious. Anyway, so that's just a word. That's a word snob. Yay, it's back. The inner goddess thing. Okay, so I like when someone introduces a part of a story that they can go back to because it kind of like either it breaks up the action or it anchors you to something uh, useful that you can, you know, immediately identify with. So when I see inner goddess, I know that this is going to be the aspect of the story that I'm reading about. That didn't happen. It wasn't, it didn't serve a higher purpose right. to push the story along at all. It just kind of existed 
as I here's what I think now. I just thought of this right now. I hit on this. How many times did Inner Goddess show up? Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Mm-hmm. So if you add Intergot, so that's what they did. They took fifty-eight in- instances of holy shit, and they changed it to the Inner Goddess. And that way, they were they were breaking up the repetition a little bit. I think that's what they actually did, <laughs> because it's just <laughs> it's just another way. It's a, in a, instead of a direct reaction of her saying holy shit, it was an indirect reaction of saying my Inner Goddess said holy shit, right? <laughs> Am I, I'm totally ranting here, but am I right? Do, am I, do you guys back me up on this? Yeah, that's like some editorial. Yeah. Somebody said, we got to do something different here. Livius? Just a little bit, you know. I'm, I'm very concerned because after you said subconscious, I'm trying to look for the word subconscious and can't <laughs> find it. Well, no, I can't find it in the book. Was it something other than subconscious? Was it? Uh, no, maybe it was. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like I was like really, like, <laughs> really. Oh, funny. so I might have just word snobbed you, Livius? Yeah, I don't want to make you look like a fool, but I'm not. Well, I mean, that. obviously, obviously, I'm the only one that read the book. Then, if I caught it, <laughs> um, no, no, I highlighted all the, the parts I particularly hated. I have like three pages on my Kindle here of like things I could tell you that I just hated. Um, but <laughs> no, they, I thought it was subconscious. I thought so too. Hang on, I've got my Kindle out. Did you search the word? Did you spell it right? Well, I tried just conscious, and that didn't pull up anything. It wasn't inner prude. It wasn't inner asshole. It wasn't inner <laughs> fun spoiler. No, it she is subconscious. Gone with that, you so, know. But... My subconscious sneers at me. Anna, my tortured, tortured subconscious begs on bended knee. Um, You're right then. Is it with a dash? Is that what I'm missing? S-U-B-C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S. You have to spell it properly. Otherwise, yeah, it won't no, come up that's, in the that's how I have it spelled and it's not pulling anything up. Am I in the wrong book? Maybe I'm in the other book I'm reading. I've already moved on. <laughs> No, I'm in Fifty Shades. <laughs> Until very recently, the unwelcome, still small voice of my subconscious whispers. Yeah, it's there. Uh, it found... S-U-B-C-O-N-C-I-O-U-S, right? No, there's an S before the C-I-O-U-S. Oh, that would be why then. Never mind. This is all staying in. Oh, I know. I do that the second I said it. So there's 80 instances of the word subconscious in the book. Oh, God, there was more than... Why did the inner goddess stand out more? Because it was more the annoying. Was, yeah, exactly. It was Fucking more annoying. Active. She did. Well, let's, let's face it. Let's face it. She was a cheerleader, and cheerleaders always get yeah, more attention. That's true. At one point, there were pom poms, and if I had an inner goddess, and I'm not sure, like, in in the way that she used her inner goddess, I don't think I have one that is similar to that or related to her, and you know, like, in, fact, <laughs> you know, uh, in the same mythology, uh, from the same origin, or you know. But I don't think she would have pom poms. I don't think that that's every sad. inner goddess should have pom poms. Yeah, I don't really think that's something that's uh, oh, the backflips and the yeah. <laughs> oh god, you know, I just had this thought. Amanda's inner goddess changed the wig she was wearing to a different color. <laughs> exactly. That, that, would, that, that would be that would be exactly how she would express what she was feeling. Yeah, yes. and, it, and it's a change of like emotion or something. Right. She's holding the sledgehammer. Now she's holding the knife. <laughs> Yikes. The tulip. The tulip. And, you know, also, not just the sledgehammer and the knife. Also, there's a tulip. It's happy, inner goddess. Your inner goddess watches some llamas. <laughs> yeah. All right. Picks so the sledgehammer. <laughs> um, you mentioned James Spader earlier and, and in the episode where we talked about uh, 
Fifty Shades of Grey, and this was before I read it, I, I said I couldn't help but think of the movie Secretary. And so um, we talked a little bit about this leading up in it. And uh, Amanda, you actually gave us the story that was the inspiration for the movie. So you guys want to talk about how much better the secretary is than, or I'm sorry, it's just called secretary. Uh, then, such a than sad this. little story. Um, story yeah. <laughs> All right. For anybody who's not familiar with uh, the movie secretary, it is uh it's about a girl who is uh, recovering from cutting herself. Is that, yes, that fair to say? At the from, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was just released from um, being institutionalized. Mm-hmm. So she um, is not very outgoing. She's kind of introverted. She finds a job working at a uh, law firm for uh, not even a law firm for one lawyer in this small little office um, as a secretary. And it turns out that he has some um, some sadistic uh, tendencies, sexually sadistic tendencies, I should say. Um, and she um, did it right you know, in that movie. <laughs> they did the whole. Yeah. So she gets very slowly lured into this this lifestyle where he's disciplining her for mistakes she makes at work and stuff, and a relationship develops between them. Um, so that's that's the gist of it. Now yeah. the story that we read um, was only seven pages long. Um, was very very true to the to the movie and and managed to really capture the feel of the movie. I think in that seven pages. Um, slightly different ending, though. Yeah, because, well, I mean, the the original story was exactly the opposite of mm-hmm. the whole feel of the movie, but it was pretty much the same story up to a certain point. Yeah, I mean, the the actual details of what happened. Right, we're very very similar. You have this very sad person that goes into the situation, and then when the weird stuff happens she just sort of backs off and slinks away mm-hmm. and he goes back to being this very creepy character doing whatever he did. And, you know, and she just kind of disappears back into her life of being, you know, sort of unhappy and awkward. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that I like so much about the movie was, and I said this kind of awkwardly uh, when we talked about it a couple episodes ago, I just love talking about James Spader, but, um, uh, the movie was such a wonderful story of how two people whose lives are, are pretty, I guess by, you know, if you want to call someone normal, like a normal person terms, pretty messed up lives. Um, they kind of fall into each other's lives and end up being like what they need for each other, you know? And, and it was such a positive ending. And I was reading a little bit on Wikipedia, which is, you know, the steadfast source of all perfect truth. Um, about the film and one of the things that the director wanted to do was to spin it into a tale where it portrays the BDSM community in a positive light where, you know, it's these people who have these these, these desires, but they can have a relationship where, you know, they do do good things for each other. Right. Because I mean, from the moment they entered that part of the relationship, there was definitely a line when he told her that she no longer cut herself. And he said, "I, you know, that he sort of took control and it was like she needed that help. Yeah, exactly. And from that moment on, she was different. And that's kind of when they started to fall into the roles and it was productive for both of them. You know, and I think his self-hate and she really got into it. You know, she researched the BDSM. She, you know, she was OK with it. And he was the one with the shame about the way he was. Mm-hmm. But it was very, you know. It was it was totally the opposite of like the way, but I, you know the way that um, it was portrayed in you know Fifty Shades. It's this 
whole weird abusive thing. Instead, it's just, you know, these people find what they need, and sometimes you need to find roles, and that can work if you're not good at relationships or however you find happiness, you know, with people. And, and that's just a th- very, yeah, very, very positive. That's the thing about, I mean, if you look at the two stories, they're very similar. Secretary, you've got someone who's <clears throat> not necessarily normal, but completely inexperienced in this, you know, BDSM world, meets a person who's obviously experienced and has done stuff in the past. Um, and they they come together and, and have a relationship. And the way that they're handled in the two different stories are just, you know, right. vastly different. Well, and you know she had seen that movie, too, because his last name is Gray. And it was yeah. spelled the same, too. So That's a very good point. That's why I kept trying to put James Spader over top of... <laughs> What's his name? The... Christian. Christian. But again, James Spader's well, character... Edward, but that's... Yeah. Same. <laughs> Whatever. But James Spader's character in that movie, again, is a very flawed person who's, you know... And, and, and that's why you, you like him more, because he's not perfect and, you know... And does everything yeah, right. Beautifully flawed in a very, very layered way. Both characters are very, very layered. Yeah. And it's James Spader. Did I mention and, that? Yeah, it's James Spader. <laughs> I've often referred to that movie as a love story for men. I that's a love story for me too. I loved it. <laughs> well, it's just one of those like you know, it like the typical, you know, romantic movie just isn't something a guy really cares for. But I was like, you know, there's a love story that I think a guy could watch and actually appreciate. Yeah. Well, the guy, yeah, no, and the guy had just as large a part, and he served other than, you know, because in most of the romantic comedies, men are just the thing to, you know, whatever. They're the conflict. Right. They're the ultimate thing. They don't really have personalities. It's like that one guy, Mark Ruffalo, he's like the boyfriend in like every romantic <laughs> comedy since like, what, 2005? Like, it's he's always been like the boyfriend. Except for the Avengers. He has a different role in that. Oh, okay. I didn't he's a really big. He's a really big green guy. Yeah. I am so glad he got to move on and actually like play an actual role in a movie besides somebody's boyfriend. He's, he's I, a really big green guy with no personality. Well, good he for ca- him. I'm glad he chain. <laughs> he kind of ends up, ends up being. You know, he ends up being Tony Stark's boyfriend a little bit. <laughs> they get all like you know nerd love with each other because they're both scientists. <laughs> We do, and I want to I want to talk about Secretary for just a minute because there there was like a turning point in that movie. Like I think like you watch the movie and you kind of wonder, like when I wonder, like when I watch that, like you wonder how much of a predator like he actually is, mm-hmm. and you wonder how. Yeah, you know, I mean, you you never question really like how uh, introverted and how naive she is, but you kind of wonder how much of you know there's definitely a point where you doubt him and you don't really understand what he's all about and i think there there was like this magic moment where like he became like a sympathetic character and it was when he asked her if she wanted hot chocolate and he already had it ready like oh it was yeah, behind yeah. Uh-huh. And I, thought, I thought okay that that's the moment when you realize that he he really is shy he really is nervous he rehearsed this the hot chocolate was already ready if she said no she didn't see it if she said yes it was already there the conversation could go on this has all been planned he had to plan this all out so that he would have the courage to have this you know interaction with her and i was like that actually then i was like okay i get you know i get him i'm with him now you know i understand he's telling the truth that was like it's- a David James Keaton level pull from a movie. I didn't even remember like, the hot chocolate. Yeah, that that was like the moment for me. I was like, he's telling the truth. He's not like, you know, he isn't just a, he really is shy. Everything he's saying is true. He's trying to approach this 
like on a real level. Yeah, the hot chocolate, like that was the the the, the moment. All right, and I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in one more thing on the secretary before we move on. That whole scene where she's sitting at his desk at the mm. end of the movie is probably one of the most endearing scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so weird because like it's so uncomfortable, but you're right. Like that's there's so much of a moving feel to that. Like it really touches you. Mm-hmm. So nothing like a girl soiling herself for you. That's what I always say. <laughs> in a wedding dress, in a borrowed <laughs> wedding dress. That's true. Yeah. Brilliant movie. Brilliant. I have to go rewatch it. It's been a while since I watched it, but that is just that's the way that this book could have been if it tried. Right. It's like two two approaches to basically the same I mean it is to the same premise. I mean it really now, is. Now that you guys both have the James Spader glow about you, is there anything <laughs> is there anything at all you liked about this book? Now just be honest, was there anything at all you found appealing? Um Oh, I thought the contracts part was actually really, really interesting. That was like, like I was lost up until that point. Like, I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Oh, wow. This is a really lot of weird shit on here. Okay, I'm going to read through all of this. Like, it was, you know, like, that was, this is very detailed. That, okay, wow. Well, and there was, there was some thought, I think, that went into that. I was thinking right. about that someone consulted a lawyer for the legalese of if I wanted to draw up a contract right. that said, this is what we're going to do, how would I do that? And uh, so I actually thought, like, I'm sure she actually consulted. Well, she works for BBC television. She probably walked across the hall to one of the, 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 the girls in legal and been like, listen, you know that Snow Dragon Ice Queen stuff I've been writing? <laughs> Here's what I need. <laughs> Or you know my really dumb friend that's been writing this Snow Dragon High School. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob, any any redeeming qualities? This is like the shallowest thing I'll ever say. Um, and I told Amanda while you were off doing something a minute ago, but um, or not a minute ago before we started recording, um, I said yeah, it added 528 pages to my page count for the year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're ready to move on to wrap up. Well, to go first? one thing I will say too is, um, uh, so one of the, all right, kind of, a, all right, I'm just going to say this because this needs to be said. One of the biggest things, and, and like Amanda said, one of the most, um, I guess, realistically written things, or not realistically, but interestingly written things, are the sex scenes. And I think it's telling that we talked so little about the sex scenes when that's supposed to be such a big part of the book. Like, I didn't really think they were even that, you know... I didn't either. Awesome. I didn't think that, yeah, I didn't think the sex scenes were that over the top. And, like, women read a lot more romance novels than in romance novels. Like, I don't know, like, have you guys ever actually read any of the romance novels with the, I mean, just, you might as well admit it. I mean, you read this, so, I mean, there's nothing more humiliating you could ever admit to reading. <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't. With the guy on the cover with the shirt blowing open and the woman with the bosoms way up high. Have you ever no. read anything, like, any of those books? No. Nope. I They're have read some erotic fiction, but not like romance fiction. I've read some straight up like, like, like erotic fiction. But Pen- penthouse letters. No, no. There was actually <laughs> this is the weirdest thing. One time, and I think it was just a retweet. Anthony Neil Smith retweeted something about um, some. You know, there was like a there's a a book that was free, and I, I was just I checked it out because I you know it was a free book. I ended up being, um, yeah, some erotic fiction. And I was like, all right, well, what that what the hell? So I downloaded it and I read it. It was like twenty five pages. Way better than the sex scenes in here. I'm going to say that. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's not that. That's the thing. Is like I, and I started thinking about you know there was the um, you guys brought up the the whole well, 
uh, women reading erotica because of the e-readers. And I really started thinking about that because it was like, oh, this book is so dirty, this is so dirty. And it's like, it's really not, I mean, it's compared to like romance novels, this isn't. And then I was like, I don't, I've never bought a romance novel. Like, how have I, you know, why have I, I've read a lot of romance novels. How have I read these romance novels? And I started thinking about like how those books were circulated. Mm. And it's like this weird, like unspoken, like underground railroad of romance novels that are like secretly like, <laughs> because like I've always been a big reader and like my sister was a big reader and when we were living at home like anytime anybody said I'm getting rid of a bunch of books you know uh, my mom would be like okay you know I'll take them home you know and give them to my girls and always at the bottom of the book always at the bottom of the box there would be like every time at least two possibly four of the romance novels all the way at the bottom mm-hmm those would be in there along with, you know, whatever, a couple of horror books and a couple of, you know, Nicholas Sparks, you know, and maybe some really good stuff along with it. But there would be these, you know, old paperbacks at the bottom. And then, you know, when someone asks you to borrow books, do you want to borrow books? Well, when you're giving someone a book, like giving them, you know, like, oh, do you have anything I read? Those are not the ones you hand off. So those stay at the bottom of the box. Mm. And then, people gives you books people give you books and they give you books and you give you books and then eventually you have like four layers deep of like romance novels until someone says do you have any books that you want to give rid of and then you give the box away with the four layers of romance novels at the bottom and then it goes on to someone else and people divide those up and they get circulated like amongst you know other women and you never actually see women like actually buying like the romance novels. And <laughs> so all... Somebody had to buy them though initially, right? Well, the only person, the only people that I've ever seen buying romance novels were like women in like the back. They have, they actually keep them in the back of the bookstore. Like there's actually like a section. <laughs> the little velvet there, curtain. There's there. always a woman. I swear I've, <laughs> I've gone into like bookstores like the, um, but they're always like used paperback stores. Because you can trust women with used paperbacks. Um, I should have said this. <laughs> wow. Women can pass around paperbacks and it's not like a, you know, there's no hygiene issue. Um, <laughs> oh, all right. I, oh, I is that I an indictment? Finally, yeah. I think I finally got what she, I was like, <laughs> I have no idea what she's talking about. I think I, I might have it now. It's not like, but. <laughs> Move can, along, Gowan. There's, there's always like one, you know, like one woman in the back with a box <laughs> you know and she she when she sees you you know wandering back towards that section she'll go and pretend to be you know like so that you don't look at her like full on in the face and she's filling up a box with the paperbacks like as many as you can like i'm stocking up on my porn now because i don't want to have to come back for another two months <laughs> and wow. you know those are the only people that i have ever seen and i've seen that happen like probably if i like three out of five times that i would go to like a paperback store there would always be one woman in the back stocking up on romance novels like with an actual like cardboard box and that's this, where they come from this this kind of leads <laughs> you back to a thought i had earlier but we kind of moved on from the subject was the uh you know women deciding that bdsm is for them based on reading this book and and my thought was don't they have the internet just go and type in bdsm video into google and i'm sure that you can get a more accurate portrayal in the first two links and it's kind of the same thing with like the, the the porn stuff. Like, hey, just get high speed internet. But then you have to admit what you're doing. With high speed internet? 
Oh, I see what you're saying is that if you actually go to a porn site, then yeah, then it's actually porn and it's not seeking out kinkiness instead of like reading a romance novel, which this is still supportive, you know, sort of supposed to be like a, you know, a novel. Literature. Yeah. Literature. Yeah. Mm. Well, now I can't say it. I can't say it. It's a fine (laughs) book. I won't won't use the word. I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now the point is with e-readers gone. I mean. You can get your you know, there's your dirty little secret remains, you know, on your on your Kindle, I guess, or something. Anyway, that whole thing is just mystifies me. I didn't know that there was like some secret like, um, some like a gray market for for romance novels. I didn't either until I tried to I tried to realize I you know I couldn't figure out why I I had this like background like well I've read a lot of romance novels and this you know except for the whips you know there's a lot of you know in the actual use of anatomical names there are a lot more you know it's all <laughs> metaphors and everything but everything's still going in and out of places in the romance novels. <laughs> okay, and go into the sections really quick. I want to say this before I forget, and and this might be going too far, but like. <laughs> The all right, so the the how poorly written they are. Like every time, all right, so there was like there was a sex and there was all going on. And this went in there and that went in there, and every time the dude would finish, she would say he would still, like he stills, and like what she meant was he would just like I guess like stiffen up or something, like stop moving or something, and I it just seems such a. Though. I don't really know. You, do you remember that though like that part of the book does either of you yeah it was yeah it was right before he'd spill himself into her yeah he would still and then spill himself yeah exactly and and i'm like that's the that's the i mean like that's the best you could do to explain like so she's going through all these like these torrential like emotions like i mean she's having these crazy like out of body experiences most almost of like you know her her orgasms and everything and he still <laughs> he's like oh that's it. That's it's it. like yeah it's like in um the movie bad teacher did anybody see bad teacher i loved yes. that movie <laughs> all right so the part where they're dry humping yeah. and like he's he's like he's like, hold on almost ready almost ready almost there and finally he's just like eh, and like that's all that happens <laughs> that's that's Christian, I guess. Which I mean, you know, it's well, JT. It's a pretty sexy if I guy. I had Justin Timberlake to think you know, <laughs> to put over top of James Spader, and then on top of Edward, and then you know maybe that would have helped get me through the book <laughs> too. Wow, um, Livius. Yeah, I think um, we should do some wrap ups. What do you think? Um, my God, I forgot all about it. Yeah, <laughs> I feel really, really like. No, I don't. No, I want to feel bad that I don't have anything really good to say about this. But I I mean, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. is. All right. So you start you do your your official wrap up first and give us a a rating from one to five stars. Oh, I give it like a point five um, for spelling. I think all of the spelling was correct. All of it. All right. See, and now I have to disagree because not all the spelling was correct. Now you're well. I guess I take that. Well, the spelling, the spelling was fine. There was, there actually was one, um, which looked like a typo. But yeah, they didn't was, know how to spell the word subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually really clever of you. Go on. God damn it! That was actually really clever. No, I want. I wanted to make sure that I acknowledged how clever you were there. Um, unless this is just me, and I've been saying this wrong my whole life too. 
she's talking about she gets in her car and it says the miles slip away as i floor the pedal to the metal that's like mixing two different things right it's it's the pedal to the metal or flooring the pedal like it shouldn't be well you either floor it there's a lot going on in it okay yeah because when you floor it that means pushing the pedal to the floor is what i always thought right well that's i was just i wanted to get someone else's backup on that 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 is not the proper way of of no, that, that is mixed metaphors. Oh, oh yeah. wait, wait! I still have the Anne Rice thing, the whole like orgasm thing. <laughs> well, we're, we we did just interrupt your your wrap I'm up. Sorry. So. Yeah, that's okay. Let's let's not keep you from the whole orgasm thing, as you put it. Uh, okay. Well, you know, it comes from this whole like I've never been attracted to boys, and I don't really get turned on and stuff. You know, that's her thing. You know, or whatever. Um, that's her. You know, the premise of you know, and then oh, he's the only guy that you know does it for or whatever um the whole like uh um, something about a popsicle that's not what i want to go into (laughs) (laughs) but i don't want to talk about that um oh my that was extraordinary now i know what all the fuss is about that's that's it (laughs) the only time she was really succinct in the entire book (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and it was about like the whole first being with a man first you know orgasm first really feeling connected to a person and oh my now she knows what all the fuss was about okay and i want to i want to interject in here because this is something that and i'm sorry if i just totally interrupted you um that's fine it's <laughs> the actual first orgasm she has in the book is all nipples and that's her first orgasm her first sexual experience in her entire life she has a nipple gasm i'm like right there i'm like nope I am done with this book. Sorry. Don't go on. I'm sorry. Well, and like, and also too, he was really, really, um, uh, well-spoken. And then he started saying baby a lot. (laughs) Baby. You okay, baby? Hey, baby. Later's baby. Later's baby. Yeah, that's. (laughs) Which he rips off from his brother. So the one thing like he's really memorable for, he just took from his brother. (laughs) Right. But yeah, it was always baby this and baby. Yep. So that's all right. Are we ready to move on to Livius's wrap up? Yeah, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's here's what I've got. Um, there's not a lot of story here. There was a potential for what would have probably maybe been a pretty good story. Um, like I said, Christian looked to be somebody that could have been very interesting, but ultimately he became very wishy washy. Um, Anastasia had some cute things going on, but they were overdone by the time you were, you know, 25% into the book. Um, but it was surprisingly, uh, and, and when I say an easy read, I don't mean like the, the words were kind of small and I get through them. Like I didn't have any trouble just turning the pages in this book, which is surprising because I've read much, much better books that I've struggled to get through as I know Rob has too. There are books we've read that we actually rated four stars, but there were times where we were like, ugh. You know, to trudge through it. So I found it surprisingly um, readable for as crappy as it was. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's just not a whole lot of substance there. I think she had what could have been an interesting idea. And if she wasn't, I think Amanda put it best where she said, you know, she had these like five great sex scenes and she just needed a story to weave around them. Um, so, yeah, ultimately um, one and a half stars. So I'm going to put it between I didn't like it and it was OK. So. All right, so my I'm going to try and, and do this because we went on at length about all the flaws of this book. And the f- first thing I want to say, because I feel bad when we, you know, 
we say bad things about books, but I mean, she tried, you know, she put herself out there and she did something and, and, you know, congratulations to her for it being so popular. Um, that being said, the books well, really Coco wrote a book too. Ice T's wife Coco wrote a book, so she, you know, put herself out there too. So she gets point five stars also. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Well, yeah, she's well. There's plenty of stars left over from this book, so she can have some of those. <laughs> really quickly, the book, uh, for all intents and purposes, is supposed to be out romance and kinky sex, um, and really the romance is really bad and not well written, and the kinky sex isn't really that kinky or sexy. Um, not a lot of story here. The characters are all pretty flat and unlikable, and it was really just not that great. So I'm going. I'm gonna shoot the gap here and do a one star review. Yeah. Perfect. Can I uh, can I throw out a couple more things? Jason Stewart mentioned on Facebook uh, <laughs> a book called <laughs> Shades of Grey. <laughs> It's like a men's adventure book someone just put out. <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty sure that there are some people buying a book called Shades of Grey by accident. So this guy's probably far smarter than the three of us. <laughs> Maybe a little bit smarter than Neil James, who basically has made an ass out of herself to the actual literary community. <laughs> he wrote some book and he's probably sitting counting his, you know, $400,000 or something he's made by either accidental <laughs> clicks or... Oh, so <laughs> yeah. good absolute genius there so thank you jason stewart for bringing that to our attention um now as you said that i was going to defend this book i personally did all the defending i could do but <laughs> i did go on to amazon and happened to glance at and i swear this was the first five-star review that i saw and i want to read a little bit of this for for the listeners now i'm going to muddle this this is it's five six okay it's i believe in it's, you it's longer than, you know, the first three <laughs> chapters of the book. So, so there's got to be 600 pages here that I'm looking at. <laughs> um, it says 50 shades of gray, dot, 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 50 shades of magic and three exclamation points. So you know that they're serious. <laughs> and this is by C C S E A Rockstar. So it's apparently done by Rockstar. <laughs> this story is magical. It may not be perfect by literary standards, but as far as pure enjoyment and joy, it is my favorite romantic story. Over the last two years ago, and yes, that's what it says. Over the last two years ago, I have read well over 100 books, as well as many fan fiction stories, and have a TBR, oh, I get for to be read, okay, pile that could bury me. But I have returned to this story for rereads all the time, two exclamation points, so you know she's serious. I have never reviewed a book either, but for Fifty Shades, I'm happily writing a five-star review. While it was still on the author's blog, I'd been known to revisit the story for specific chapters, special scenes, or to hunt down one of a hundred favorite lines. <laughs> now as an ebook, it would be my Desert Isle Keeper because it just never gets old for me. One small complaint, I was hoping after the professional edit, the opening chapters would be stronger, but they are still not a good indication of just how compelling this story becomes. After that, though, so much unfolds between the two leads at such a fast pace that my rereads have been even more enjoyable than my initial one, which I did one chapter at a time as the author was writing it. I won't go over the storyline as other reviewers have done that, but I do agree with the reviews that describe the story as addicting and entertaining. Anna's, and this is in quotations, inner characters are riotously amusing, and a new one shows up that wasn't in the fanfic version. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. 
All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip down a little bit. So there's there's that's half of the first paragraph. So I'm gonna move on to paragraph two. I won't say that I haven't rolled my eyes, which I'm surprised nobody brought up on this episode. The eye rolling, oh uh, god, yeah, that was consistent throughout the book, which is a dangerous thing to do in this story, ha. Huh? <laughs> At a few plot devices in Fifty Shades of Grey, or haven't noticed all the Britishisms that show up in this American setting. There is also a lack of sophistication in some parts of the story, but it's the author's first work, and well, it's mostly amazing, so these things don't disturb me at all. The brilliant bits, see what I did there. The bits is in quotation marks. Um, are so good that it's worth suspending my belief at certain points and forgiving the author's incorrect use of a term or two. You can tell the author was writing for the pure enjoyment. Okay, blah, blah. The sensuality factor is very high and yet tasteful in spite of pushing the envelope. I still get stunned by some of the steamy scenes and find I can't breathe until it's over. <laughs> then I just mutter something like, that shit is hot. <laughs> Freaking hot. We should have got Sea Rockstar on for this episode. Wow. Some sort of aquatic rock I want to read I want to read that book. Whatever book Sea I I just feel after this, I mean, I just feel like after this, like I am coming off as like a real ass, like a book snob. But like I I mean I, I like all I like all books. I like every book's like I, I don't read, you know, like just I don't, I don't know. I just feel like I sound like an ass, but this book was just really bad. I'm an equal opportunity book reader. I like all books, horror books. I've read a lot of romance books, obviously, that I didn't realize that I had, and I think I enjoyed those too. Well, Amanda, per perhaps you're flawed. There's another review by Lenny says, Christian Grey is the classic tortured soul that every girl would love to heal. <laughs> every girl that and includes all you. Of them. Yes. Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> <That's> like... <laughs> wow. I don't know what just happened uh, there. <laughs> she was singing that hello song. I, I know what it was. I don't know why that just happened. That's what played in my head the entire time I was reading the book. That was that, was that and George Takai. That was all I heard. It was... <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, the inner right. goddess is holding a sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> my inner goddess is, is asleep <laughs> like a dog like a dog chasing a car in their dreams like kicking its <laughs> legs a little bit barking occasionally also, yeah and there were like there were two dream sequences and you know what I, yeah, we are done reviewing this book <laughs> go on I want to go back in time and take half a star back because I forgot about the dream sequences. <laughs> E.L. James. I had apologized, but you really need to apologize to us, I think. <laughs> yes, I agree. Very well put. Yes. she Seven figures she got for publication on this thing, which uh, for the non-mathematicians out there means somewhere over a million dollars. Now, is that for the one book or the trilogy? That's for the trilogy and probably the film rights, I would imagine, too. Yeah. Well. I could have been reading a fishing equipment catalog and wasted a lot of time with this book. I don't like to fish. That was my point. I should have. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Amanda, what are you currently working on? I'm interviewing people at a website called Curiouser and Curiouser. The actual address is curiousinterviews.wordpress.com. And last week was Stephen Graham Jones. And coming up, the one that will be out when this comes out, 
will be Craig Walwork. Wait, can you say that name again? <laughs> <laughs> that would be Craig Walwork. It is Craig Walwork. Craig. All right, so Amanda, you heard it. It's Craig, like Malaz said. So get it right. Mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> I read your first interview. Um, your interviews seem like they're a little bit different than like interviews we do here or other ones I've read online. So tell us a little bit about that. I wish I had like a really, really good story behind like why I wanted to ask people really strange questions or just different questions. But I was just reading interviews and I realized that I was skimming like author interviews because it was a lot of the same stuff and I was actually and I can't remember what interview I was reading and I wish I could but I wanted to ask the person a specific question and I was like that's a weird thing that they would probably think I was an odd person for asking unless I had like a reason to or an excuse and then there was like a light bulb like like a real light bulb like appeared above my head and I was like oh I can set up this whole website and ask people questions and with that premise I can say whatever I want and I can ask them weird shit and they won't be offended because I can say you don't have to answer them if you don't want to I'll just send you different questions cool and yeah that's what I did <laughs> well yeah like uh like Livia said um I really like the concept because I think and I mentioned this when we were um talking about Christopher Moore recently and how that dude had some things just so practiced because you know he said them over and over again right um it's good to have just a different take on, on an author to see a different side of him or a different facet. So, or him or her, I guess, in a, a different facet. So, um, yeah, I thought the idea was just great. And I think it gets, I think it gets overlooked that there's like a person back there that's putting all this stuff out and I kind of get, you know, curious. I don't want to say that too many times about, you know, other aspects besides like how they, when do they write, you know, where, where do they get their ideas, you know, then that's, you know, just kind of a little bit of behind that. And right. I, I put out kind of an open call that was, I think I asked five or six people, maybe like up to 10, but like, I mainly just did it like an open call. Like if you want to like answer 10 questions, like I promise not to ask you like very much about writing. It won't be about writing at all. And like the response was like overwhelming. Like I had like well over 30 people very, very quickly that were like, yes, Cool. I would love to do that. Nice. You're you're set for like six months then. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought I would do it over the summer, but I'm I've got interviews set up one a week through probably November at least. Wow. So that's why we never got our invite is we were supposed to approach you. Yeah, I didn't I didn't approach. Yeah. I didn't I mean I approached maybe five or six people. Um but basically it was like if you want to do it, send me a message and I'll send you questions. Thing I like about it is it really gives the authors a chance to be clever. Like it's probably hard to be really clever when you're answering the kind of you know static questions that you typically get. Like, so what's the story about? But this really like the Stephen Graham Jones stuff is just fantastic. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, Craig Wallwork. <laughs> it's really good. It's a really good interview. It's they're all really good, and it has nothing to do with me. It's just writers are very good at telling stories. So if you give them an opportunity to talk about things other than either things they've published or how they come about getting to those things that they published, then they can tell you these pieces of their lives, like in the same, you know, with the same eloquence that they would tell you, you know, a piece of fiction. Yeah, exactly. All right. So other than curiouser and curiouser, what are you writing? 
I am writing shorts. I'm always writing shorts. Um, actually, this Friday, it'll be Friday, May 11th. Is that right? Um, I have a magazine coming out. Well, I don't have a magazine coming out. There's a magazine that I'm in called Cutaway. It's a first edition. It's a British journal. And it will be available uh, at cutawaymagazine.co.uk. And I have a little story in there, and I'm very, very excited about that. It's very pretty. And also what we've uh, decided to do with Curious and Curiouser, um, I have teamed up with Mike Gonzalez, and we are syndicating Curiouser and Curiouser, which makes it like seem that much more important. And also it will a lot more, hopefully get a lot more readers on the interviews. It will be syndicated to the Thunderdome on Thursdays. So each interview that comes out on Tuesday at the website CuriousInterviews.wordpress.com will come out on Thursdays at ThunderdomeMag.com. Cool. And has that started yet on Thunderdome? Yes. Yes. The Stephen Graham Jones interview is already up. Cool. If there's like a direct feed, I'll, I'll definitely make sure I put it up on the the post for this uh, uh, episode. Yeah, so you can catch it, the same interview, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, Thunderdome is planning another anthology of short stories. It will be called Cypher Sister, and I'm going to be co-editing with Mike Gonzalez. And the idea behind that was a few months ago, there was a story that came out about twins that were found um, dead in their home of natural causes, and they were... I think in their seventies, like their late seventies and they were basically recluses their entire lives. So their like entire lives were blank slates. And Mike sent me this link and he was like, this, you know, reminds me of, uh, the storytelling tabby, um, which was the world was clocks and, um, mm-hmm. warmed abound. And the discussion kind of came about, it's like, there are a thousand stories like about what these women's lives could have been like, you know, no one knows like, and everything that you could write or think of could be speculation. You know, somebody should write a story, you know, about like their lives. And it was like, no, there should be a thousand stories about the lives and what they might've been because it's all, you know, speculation. So we took that idea, fictionalized the names and have put out the call open to submissions right now at Thunderdome. Um, for Cypher Sister, and it's basically you could pick a five-minute moment, like of their childhood, or you could pick out like ten years from their, you know, adulthood, and tell what was, you know, going on with them. Like, what were they doing? Like, what kind of lives did they have? Because no one knows. And it should be, I think it's a really, really awesome idea. <laughs> it's a very, very interesting concept. Yeah. I think the limitations like set up with the concept are going to be like a very are going to be the catalyst for like the real creativity because mm-hmm. you can actually do a lot. You have to kind of force yourself to yeah. go in a lot of different directions. Livius and I were talking about that with um Walwork when we were talking about Quintessence of Dust and there was like a part of one of his stories that he just touched on a little bit that I was like, You could make so many really cool ideas off of this one little like bit of a thought. And I like that. I think it does spurn a lot of, or not, it spurs a lot of creativity. It makes you like, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really, it's, I'm stumbling, but yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. I could see a lot of cool stuff coming out of it. Yeah. I think, um, uh, submissions will be open through the end of September. So lots of time writers to get something. Yeah. In there. Yeah. Well, Amanda, as always, it's great to have you on. Uh, this is your third appearance, I think, on the show. 
It um, is. I'm sorry I said blowjob. I didn't. I was going to try to make <laughs> language as clean as possible. <laughs> well, there was no air. Yes, like, yes, and saying it a second time does make it better. So. It's like as soon as I like flag something in my brain to not say, that's like exactly what comes out. It's like I send someone an email and I'm like, don't say how I'm gonna, not going to hide in your trash cans. Don't say anything, you know, and then I'm like, I'm, see, and then I just do it again. That's all right. We're I just. I'm, yeah, I think I'm good now. <laughs> Well, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. We always like having you on. And uh, thanks for, for living through this book to come on and talk to us about it. I forgive you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, again, thank you, Amanda, for reading that book. Um, <laughs> because the people are going to be, as we invite people onto the show, they're just going to think we just uh, hand, hand them off whole things. I mean, David James Keaton really liked the book we read, but we had Ferguson on. It was like the same result as this. I'm starting to feel yeah. bad. Like we invite people on just for them to read garbage. Yeah, but it was fun to talk about, even if it was difficult to get through. No doubt. Um, no. And and this this episode's going long, so we're gonna uh, keep it short at the end here. But we do want to give you uh, a little bit of um, an update from Skip Papersley. We have our latest edition of Booked News. So without further ado, here he is. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in Book News, William Boyd, author of The Ice Cream War and A Good Man in Africa, announces that he will be working on a new James Bond novel, bringing the famous spy back to his 1960s roots. As of this time, Book News has not received any further details, except to say that it will include the same amount of racism as Dr. No, and twice the homophobia of Goldfinger. Master of Fright Stephen King announced that he is working on his new novel, tying all of his most popular works together. Rumor has it that King's new book will be about a gun-toting automobile vampire dog that was raised by the dead in a Native American burial ground slash hotel in Atlantis during a super flu that is also covered in pig's blood and dirty pillows. Finally, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Amanda Quick makes a quick debut at number five with Crystal Garden. Nora Roberts, the witness, sees a decline from number two to number four. Calico Joe says it is so to John Grisham when it stays at number three. The Innocent by David Baldacci feels guilty for falling to the number two spot. Finally, The Wind Through the Keyhole by Stephen King himself blows away the competition to start off as number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. I'm pretty sure... (laughs) All right, so we listened to this a little while ago, so it's but Rob and I just couldn't stop laughing. I mean, that Stephen King's a funny guy if he's actually putting that book together. That's great stuff. <laughs> yeah, I I can't tell you how much I enjoy booked news. It's almost better than hearing myself talk, and um, that's saying a lot because I really like to hear myself talk. Uh, so once again, thanks Skip Papersley for uh, for for sending that over to us and big thanks to amanda for for slogging through this book and uh coming on to talk with us about it right don't forget that you can keep up with curiouser and curiouser and or book podcast on facebook um search for either one click the like button and you can be kept up to date on what's going on not just with amanda's site but with us here at the show yep um hey Liv, what are we reading next well, next, instead of asking someone to read a book with us, um, we actually took a suggestion from uh, from booked alum uh, Chris Deal, who suggested that we pick up The Croning by Laird Barron. So that'll be the uh, the next book review. 
That's right. And I think it, uh, I, I didn't really check it out too much, but I think it's a cosmic horror book. So I don't think I've really read any cosmic horror. So this will be interesting. Yeah. Deal said to read it. So we're reading it sight unseen. That's right. We trust him. Uh, we trust him with our lives. At least with the show. So, holy crap, I think that wraps up this uh, book review episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your smile.